I'm Carrie. And I'm Amy, and you are listening to The Perks of Being a Book Lover. This is a show where two friends, Amy is like a golden retriever and I am like a grumpy cat, talk about all the coolness that comes from living a bookish life. Each week we do a deep dive Q&A with a book lover, an author, awesome, a bookseller, bingo, a member of a book club, marvelous. We chat with bibliophiles from all over about why stories are integral to who they are. This week, our guest is Ashley Clark, who is the VP of Digital at Louisville Public Media and who also serves as one of the hosts of The Moth in Louisville, Kentucky, an opportunity for anyone in the community to listen to and tell stories. The Moth is a national storytelling organization with headquarters in New York City, but there are regional Moth events all over the country. Whether you've seen a local story slam or listened to the Moth Radio Hour on NPR or as a podcast, you know that the stories are sometimes hilarious and sometimes poignant, but they always remind us of how important storytelling is in our lives. We had a great time chatting with Ashley and are excited to share our conversation. But first... Well, I've been away for an overnight little excursion this weekend. I just got home about an hour ago so that we could record this. But our middle son, who is a chef, this will be his first executive chef position. And he was hired at a new restaurant in my hometown. It's a wine bar, a new place. And so he's going to be in there from the ground up. And they had a soft opening this Valentine's Day weekend. And so they invited friends and family. And so my husband and I drove down for the day had dinner last night at the restaurant and then came back this morning. But it's really cool to see when one of your kids is like doing the thing, doing the thing that they love and that they have been, you know, training for. So, you know, as a mama, it was very heartwarming. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. That's fantastic. But you have to share how you made a huge wonderful first impression I to did. one at the restaurant. <laughs> You know, we had a reservation at 630. We came in. We got to meet the the owners, the, the lovely ladies who've entrusted their life savings in my son's hands, which is a very nerve-wracking thing. But it was, you know, nice to, to meet them. And we had started out our dinner, and they had brought out one of those ice buckets for a bottle of wine, but it was on a stand because we were sitting at a high-top table. And... It it was partly my fault, but in some sense, it was partly their fault, too, because they put the stand on the outside of our table, not towards the wall, but towards like where people would walk by. So they didn't want it like out in the middle of the floor. So they moved it like a little closer into the table, which I didn't think too much of until I went to cross my legs, (laughs) kicked the ice bucket. It falls over ice and water and wine is flying all over the restaurant. (laughs) Everybody is looking. And then the owners are having to (laughs) clean up your mess. It was very embarrassing. Mm. But when they brought back the wine, they discreetly put it on the other side towards (laughs) the wall. (laughs) Because they know you can't be trusted. (laughs) But I'm a little concerned that maybe we will not be invited back. And I was really concerned about them telling my son because I thought he was going to think, oh, my God, can I not take my mother anywhere? Had only had a few sips of wine at this point. So you can't even blame the bottle of wine. Oh, my goodness. Anyway, but they had not told him. They had not told on me. So that was very sweet. If he listens to this, he'll know, you know, I ratted myself out. I told him, I said, but it didn't seem to phase him at all. He didn't seem at all surprised. I don't know what (laughs) that says about me. 
Oh, shoot. That's funny. How's your weekend been? Uh, Quiet. So my daughter and I are supposed to go to Ecuador and the Galapagos for spring break. And I'm going to be on a lot of planes to to get to Ecuador. So I'm going to have to get some drugs because I'm not a good flyer. And apparently I'm going to need lots of them because I'm going to be on lots of flights. So we're going with one of the teachers, you know, it's, it's through her school. Of course, they had also told us that we were going to be walking between 10 and 12 miles every day. So <laughs> 12 I mean, miles, that's a lot. I know 10 to 12 miles per day. You better find some good walking shoes. You got some good walking shoes? I do shoes? have walking shoes. I've, I've got my special plantar fasciitis inserts. For, yes, so I I do wear good shoes. Okay, plantar fasciitis inserts is like the most old lady <laughs> thing. <laughs> well, I don't know. We've uttered a lot of old lady things on here, but that one is right up there. But, I know. But, although I, know. I will say I've had plantar fasciitis, and I know you've had plantar fasciitis, yeah. and my yeah. husband's had it, and I have yeah. lots of friends who've had it. It's not like it's unusual, but right. you're just saying it like that. I am an old lady. I am totally managing it like a pro. I take it very seriously. But speaking of old ladies, did you know that when Golden Girls was first filmed, like in the first season, that those women were in their mid fifties? Except for B. Arthur. She was actually 63. Okay. But the other ones, and even Sophia, like the one who's supposed to be the oldest, she was actually the youngest. Yeah. I have been watching Golden Girls. When I got COVID, I decided that I was going to start watching Golden Girls again. And so I have been binging. And I will say one of the reasons I am mentioning the Golden Girls is because our guest this week, Ashley Clark, loves the Golden Girls. And she was part of the reason why you binged the Golden Girls. Yes, for sure. She (laughs) actually got it on my radar again. We had the best time talking to her. Our recording was so long and there was so much stuff that I wanted to keep in it because she is just... A hoot. That's another old lady thing to say, maybe. <laughs> hoot. Anyway, you will hear her talk at the end about the Golden Girls. Let's listen to Ashley. Well, Ashley, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, no problem. Happy to be here. So I have seen you quite a few times at our local moth performances. And you are hysterical, I got to say. As the MC, you are very, very funny. And I always enjoy going to see you. But besides your role at The Moth, you are also the vice president of digital at Louisville Public Media. So tell us a little bit about what that role entails. Yeah. So with my work with Louisville Public Media, I essentially oversee how we communicate with folks uh, beyond our traditional radio audience, right? Like beyond the the terrestrial radio, you know, turning the dial or, or what have you, like how we communicate digitally. So that includes social media, uh, email newsletters, website, all of that stuff. This is a, a newly, well, I guess it's not so new anymore because I took on this role like right at the beginning of the pandemic. And so you know, in pandemic years, it feels like I've been doing this for about five years. (laughs) I was going to say pandemic years, it's like 15, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I've been at Louisville Public Media now for about three years. And um, yeah, it's great to work for a nonprofit media organization. This is the first time that I've ever uh, worked for such an organization. And it's a lot of fun. 
And it's great to work somewhere where the work we do is mission focused, you know, about how can we educate and entertain our community. Yeah, that's what I do, you know, my day job, I guess you could say. So we always like to ask our guests because we interview writers, we interview theater performers and regular readers and, and, and then people like you whose work is in the storytelling realm. So were you a big reader as a kid? Oh, definitely. Definitely. So I'm born and raised in Louisville and my library branch was the Shively Newman branch library. But I remember we would have library day. And my mom would take me and she would have her pile of books to return. I would have mine to return. And we'd stop at the front desk and and put them through the slot and then we'd separate. So I just remember just having a lot of joy to go to the library and read just anything new. And it was just a fun day. It was just the two of us, you know, me and my mom enjoying books. And we each always had like a big stack, you know, at the end of the visit. So and and I'm glad I have those memories as a kid of being able to look for books that interested me on my own independently um, without, you know, my mom, like, kind of being over my shoulder. She very much gave me a lot of freedom to uh, read what I wanted to read. So were there certain books or genres or stories that you particularly loved? And what did you tend to be most interested in? Okay, so when I was, like, really, really little, so maybe four or five. We had grocery day. There's a theme here in my childhood. (laughs) And on grocery day, if I had been good, I could get a Berenstain Bear book or a Little Critter book at, at the grocery store. So at least when I was young, I was into series, right? Like give me the same set of characters over and over again. You know what I'm saying? But just in different situations. So I loved those. And then when I got older and on library days, I was going after uh, Goosebumps, the Animorphs, the American Girl stories, loved all of those. And and it was comforting to have kind of this, this same formula, you know, no matter what series it was. Um, I was also into Babysitter's Club, Babysitter's Club Junior, Sweet <laughs> Valley High, like that was me. And, it, you know, what? now that I think about it, there's also comfort in knowing like, oh, when you're finished with this one, there's going to be more, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that's why I was really drawn to series because it gave me something to look forward to. Like the story didn't have to end. We have had a lot of guests talk about the Babysitter's Club, but I totally miss Babysitter's Club. So I think I'm going to make that a goal for this year. Like read at least one of those books to find out what this was about. Yeah, you know, and it's funny because I think back to Babysitter's Club, and I think for me as a kid, it was aspirational reading, right? Because there was a group of girls, they were young business owners, you know? I mean, technically, when you think about it, they had this whole, their little, you know, babysitting ring, you know? And it's I make it sound like, like a burglary like the, ring or something. Like the mafia of babysitting? Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it was, it was a group of five girls who were like 13 and then like two girls who were 11 and they were like trainees, you know, and I was younger than both of those groups as a young girl and seeing like these really cool teens and preteens. Yeah. I was like, Oh, I want to be like that. I want to be like really cool. In our defense, Carrie, I think those came after our generation. Okay. I don't don't think they were around necessarily when we were that age. So we have a good excuse. 
So, Ashley, one of your professional roles is as the host of the Moth Story Slam. So can you explain to listeners who maybe aren't familiar with what the Moth is, what it is, and how it began both nationally and here locally? Yeah, sure. So the Moth is a really fascinating organization and series of events. So essentially this all got started because a group of folks were sitting around telling stories. I mean, that was really like started in somebody's living room, right? And has since grown to essentially be live storytelling events, not just across the United States, but internationally now. So there's some events that are just storytelling. You know, there's a slate of storytellers, but then there are events that are competitions. So these are story slams. And so the story slams in Louisville are the ones that I host along with Graham Shelby. We take turns every other month uh, hosting in Louisville. And so the way that a story slam works is there's a theme for the night. You know, it could be anything like could just be endurance or heartache or, you know, something like that. And these topics are established months prior. So you can go online to themoth.org, look up and see, okay, what's the theme this month? Okay, I'm going to prepare a story. So for storytellers, you you have to prepare a five-minute story to tell in front of an audience. But this isn't a story that like is written down and you read from. This is a story that you tell, right? So when I say prepare... People have different methods for for preparing. Some people do write it down and then try to memorize that. I'm more of an outline type of gal. Like, let me, you know, make sure there are some big points I want to make sure to hit, but then put it all together as I'm telling it. So the night of the story slam, if you want to tell a story on that night's theme, you put your name in a tote bag, a very, you know, public radio friendly tote bag. (laughs) And we draw 10 storytellers at random, right? And we do not know what they're going to say. It's as much of a surprise when somebody comes to the stage and tells an amazing story to me as it is to the audience, right? This isn't like anything that we pre-screen for or anything like that. With the story slam, it's like, Come, if you have a story, put your name in and we'll draw you at random. And there are a few rules that I explain every show. It's like, okay, you got to stick at five minutes. The stories need to be true and they need to have happened to you. You know, not like, oh, well, I know somebody and this happened. No, we don't want you to retell, you know, another person's story. We want to hear your story. I think the most challenging part is that we have judges, like our storytellers are judged. We pick three groups of people in the audience before the show. It's very Olympic style, which is very appropriate since the Winter Olympics are coming up. You know, it's a scale of zero to 10. We have a lot of decimal points, you know, it's, <laughs> it's great. So yeah, it's really just an opportunity to learn more about each other on a very like micro level, you know? And I think that's why I like being a part of the moth so much is because every month it's a reminder that there are people in our community that we might not know personally, but we share a lot of the same feelings and events and sorrows and joys as, as the stranger. 
And to me, it helps kind of break down the walls that we have between one another sometimes. You know, it's just like, hey, we're more alike than we think, you know, and that's pretty cool. So my impression is that the National Moth is located in New York City, but there are branches all over the country. Correct. Okay. So... How do those branches start? Is it something like somebody local just wants to start doing it? Or do they send people to start a branch in different places? How does that work? Well, Tara Anderson, the producer for the Louisville location, she really spearheaded bringing the moth here. Um, And I think this was about 10 or 11 years ago. She was the one that was like, hey, this should be an event happening here and I can produce it. Honestly, I think it's a combination of both. I think it's a little bit of people stepping up, but I also think it is very planned out how they want to expand. So the Story Slam has been in Louisville for about 10 or 11 years, and I've been a host in some capacity for maybe six of those years. Six or seven, maybe? You know, what is time? What is time? years feel like decades, but somehow a day feels like a week. It's, it's crazy. (laughs) But yeah, so I've been around for a while and I've really, really enjoyed hosting the event. And I'm also really proud of Louisville that we, we showed the folks up in New York city, like, Hey, we got, we got a lot of good stories too. You know? So how did you get involved with it? Um, I'm friends with Tara. And, you know, I went to a moth and I was like, oh, this is really fun. And and she was looking for volunteers to work the merch table. Um, and I was like, ooh, I get to get in free. I'll work the merch table, you know. <laughs> and I do have to say, I'm quite good at selling T-shirts. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I have the gift and I want to help you get a shirt that you're going to like. You know what I mean? So I really, really enjoyed that. And then Tara was producing kind of like a special moth event. It was somewhere, it was like a much smaller venue than where we usually have it. And she was just like, hey, would you like to try to host? And I was like, yeah, sure. And from then on, you know, I've, I've been a host. So it's just kind of a lovely combination of things that I'm really attracted to because of my personality. Like I love meeting new people and talking to new people and being on a stage, not going to lie, really. <laughs> Listen, I can't sing or dance, but hosting, I'm like, oh, I can do this. I can do this. Well, yeah. And like every month, it never fails that I'm always blown away at something, whether it's like somebody who's never told a story on on stage before coming up and they tell this great story and then they win that night. You know, I'm constantly amazed by the Louisville storytelling community. I've probably attended... I don't know, four or five uh, story slams. Mm -hmm. And I'm always amazed about how supportive the audience is um, for all of the storytellers. Uh, And that's always impressive to me. And I've always enjoyed going and and listening to all the different stories. And there's always a little part of me that thinks, I want to tell a story, but I am so not a person who likes to get up on the stage and do that kind of thing. But going to see these stories kind of makes you want to tell a story. I mean, you get the itch, right? You get a little bit of like the, ooh, I could do that. And and what I usually tell folks who are on the fence, right, or who, who aren't comfortable on the stage, it's like, First, make sure that you've come to a story slam before so you know how the event works, right? You want to make sure like you're familiar with it so there's no surprises. Two, you know, practice at home. 
a lot of our storytellers, whether or not their names get drawn, have practiced beforehand, right? Just like talking to a mirror or if people are wondering like, well, what story do I tell? Think of the story you tell at parties. That's like a really easy kind of start point is what is the story that I can tell really off the top of my head that gets people listening and gets people interested, you know? So mind your memory banks of, of those stories. But then also once you get on the stage, uh, because of the stage lights, you can't really see the audience. So you, you don't have that pressure. You don't feel like there's a hundred sets of eyes on you because you can't see anybody. And, and you're right. What you mentioned in terms of it being a really supportive audience. And that's another thing that I'm so proud of in Louisville is that we've created a community, a really supportive community. Folks aren't going to get booed. You know, it's not that type of environment. You're going to be cheered on. If you forget or lose your place, we're going to stick with you. It's, you know, it's okay. Keep going. You got this. You got this. I think that Tara as the producer, me and the host, and Bram as a host as well, have worked really, really hard to create an environment in which we can support one another. Like, yes, it is a competition, but at the same time, we're not cutthroat about it. You know what I mean? I mean, your prize is a certificate signed by me. Um, we're not handing out cars or trips or or anything like that it's really a great place even if you're nervous you're gonna be supported and I I think you can feel that support from the stage so I want to ask because I've typically listened to the moth on the radio I guess that would be sort of like the national program and it sounds like that is a little different in that or at least the way I've understood is that sometimes it's like people write their stories and then they get editorial, maybe help from the moth organization. So that's a totally different ball of wax. Am I understanding that correctly? Um, Yes and no, because we have had stories that have been told in Louisville appear on the moth podcast. Oh, okay. Yeah. So some of them are a mix of like curated events in which folks work with a professional at the moth to kind of help basically coaches, you know, let me, I'm going to rewind a little bit, but this will make sense. Mm-hmm. So the winners of sto- story slams about once a year or so, we have a grand slam, which is taking all of those winners from the previous year. And it's like one big competition at the Kentucky center. And it's really a great night. And with this event, uh, our storytellers do work with coaches from the Moth HQ to kind of help polish their story and things like that. But it's not like anybody writing their story. It's definitely more of a coaching rather than, you know, oh, let me just take this and like write it up for you really nice because we, we want authenticity. Right. Right. But yeah, it's been nice because, you know, the HQ gets summaries of what all these stories are. And so, and we record all of these stories. So it's great when you hear a Louisville story, make it, to the podcast. It's really cool. We've had a couple that have made it. I mean, this has been many years ago, but the local WFPK, they did something where you could submit stories and go down to the studio and record your stories and they would play them over the radio. And I know I submitted a story and I had written it up and I went down there and read it and I was terrible like it was a good story but like just the delivery and so when I was thinking about this I was like 
imagine for some people there's maybe at least like there was for me there was a disconnect like the story was well written and it was a good story but my delivery of it was balls you know so yeah. <laughs> um do you have people like that who ask questions or they're like I, I i have a story but i suck and i guess what tips do you give them there's a difference between things that you write oh when you're reading them they sound great but not everything that is written is going to translate into like speaking it. And my background is as a writer. That's how I started, right? That's kind of the foundation of everything that I do. But how I would write something is not how I would say it. And so I always give this advice, whether it's um, at work, at my current job at Louisville Public Media, or just when I'm writing or working with other writers, it's just tell it like you speak it, you know? Mm -hmm. It's just however it is that you talk, that's how you need to tell your story period. And so that's why I kind of prefer for myself to do more of an outline than to write everything word for word. Because if I try to write everything word for word, I'm going to try to memorize everything word for word. And then if I kind of lose my place or whatever, it will completely throw me off. So usually how I, I approach it, and you know, it's funny because all of the elements of storytelling, you know, no matter what medium you're using are there, right? So as the host, we we don't want to put the pressure on somebody having to go first. So what we do is the host tells a story first. And so that means every other month, like, okay, what am I going to talk about that's related to the night's theme? So usually what my process is, is, you know, I just start just thinking, just like, okay, well, what, what kind of fits this? And I try to think outside the box, which is such a cliche to say, because, you know, these themes are usually like one word, you know, and there's so many different interpretations of one word, like going back to the example I said about endurance. So let's say that's the theme. Well, I mean, maybe it could be like, oh, I endured living in this crappy apartment for a year and here's how I got out. Or, oh, I'm an ultra marathoner, and this is what I learned from my first marathon. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, so you have to find a story that feels true to you that fits that theme. So so you, usually I'm thinking of like an anecdote, like, okay, what's something that happened? What did I learn from that? How did I change from that? Because the best stories are stories in which we change, maybe for the better, maybe for the worse. So I make sure I know what the point I want to make to the audience is. Like this happened, but this is what it meant. And then, you know, all good stories have a beginning, middle and end. So I kind of figure out, okay, how do I want to open this? Okay, when do I want to get to the main point I'm making? How do I end this and tie it all up? And then you have to do all that in five minutes. So that's how my process works. And that's how I recommend it. But, you know, it, it's funny because folks might not have a story for everything. And I tell people, do not try to take a story and fit it into a theme mm -hmm. where it's not natural. Because I've, I've heard stories like that where it's like, oh, you just wanted to tell this story. And we're like, <laughs> I'll make it work. No, 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 no. You know, if, if it's a theme one month and you're like, mm, my story doesn't fit and I can't really think of anything. Go ahead and sit that month out. Come and watch and see what storytellers have to do, but sit sit that one out, you know? Because I know I can tell and I think the audience can tell when something was shoehorned in to try to make it work. And also I recommend, you know, listening to the podcast just to hear what audio storytelling 
is like, because it is different than like a poetry slam or, you know, an open mic from a literary organization or anything like that. Uh, It's a different monster, but honestly, the element of the story and telling a good story is what unites it to other genres of of storytelling, whether it's writing, whether it's audio or, or, or whatever. Just take a chance, even if it's bad take a chance. Like what's the worst that could happen? Well, let me ask you, cause, cause I do have a, a question about the worst thing. I mean, it, it could be <laughs> the worst thing for somebody, but what happens if somebody goes over five minutes? Is there like one of those big air raid sirens that goes off or is there a big shoe that comes out and kicks them off stage? What, what happens? Yeah. Uh, that's a really good question. So Tara has a maraca. We sit at the edge of the stage while storytellers come up to the stage and tell their stories. And so she is keeping time when each storyteller goes up. And so if you reach five minutes, she slowly shakes the maraca, like a very subtle, like, Hey, you're at five minutes. You need to wrap it up at six minutes. She gives a very like rapid shake (laughs) of the maraca. And, and so when you hear that, you know, Hey, you've hit six minutes. The judge's, they can start deducting points for not being on time. Now, usually that works and people will wrap it up. There have been folks who just completely ignore the maraca and keep, well, you know, I say it's like a lot of folks, but it's not really a lot of folks. I'm thinking of one time in particular where somebody just completely ignored the maraca and kept going and going. And I think it was, they maybe got to like eight or nine minutes. Wow. And that feels like an eternity. (laughs) But I kind of like working under a time constraint because that forces me to cut out anything extraneous and stick with the story that I want to tell. And Tara's never had to actually throw the maracas at anybody. So I guess that's okay. Well, then that's good. I can't comment on whether or not she has won it. So you have listened to lots of stories on the moth. Are there certain elements from the stories that you feel like have been some of the best ones that you've heard? I mean, things that there's a common thread. Like for me, my favorites are the ones that can stream a little bit of humor into the story, even if it's a really, really serious story. But that little bit of humor kind of rounds out the emotion or something. So those are my favorite. But I'm wondering if there are things that you have noticed that you think really make a strong story and are some in some of the best ones. Ooh, this is a really good question. I do like to laugh during a story, but I don't want the storyteller to be trying to make me laugh. You get what I'm saying? There is a line between a story and a stand-up routine. And mm. I've seen storytellers who who try to make it a stand-up routine. And that doesn't resonate because it's kind of like you, you have a motive to make me laugh. Whereas, you know, with storytelling, it's I want to share my story, right? And it's a little different storytellers might have the urge to like, I have to, I have to make the people cry. I have to make them laugh or whatever. I have to tell these big life changing stories when really it can be as simple as just something that happens like a very everyday thing that tells something bigger about ourselves, Mm -hmm. you know? 
So I love those stories that can take just a slice of everyday life and, you know, just make it more meaningful than you would think. You know, it's almost about being mindful about life a little bit of like, there can be these small moments where it doesn't seem like anything happened, but really so much more happened. For me, the good stories are the ones that are true and honest and that really make you think a little bit. So the moth is really about the power of stories and storytelling. So why do you think people want to be on the moth? What do you think they get from that experience? Well, there's definitely a rush when you perform because really this is a performance in a certain way. You know, you have an audience, you know, a hundred plus people who are listening to you and you get to have that spotlight for just a moment. You know, we're not all actors and singers and dancers and get to perform in that way in our everyday lives. Like most people that that is not normal, but for five minutes, that gets to be your life that everyone is paying attention to you. You know, everybody is hanging on your every word. And that's such a unique opportunity, you know? So I think that is part of the draw. But there are definitely folks who have told stories because they want to share some sort of message that is really important to them. I think it's really the reason why culturally, we went from telling stories around fires to, you know, up on stage at headliners because it makes us feel less alone. And I think that's true for the folks who want to tell stories and come up on stage. And I think it's also true for the audience to listen to somebody who has experienced something similar to what you have experienced and just have that universal human experiences. Like we all love and we all long for things and, and want safety and, and things like that. So I think it really is a way to reach out. And, you know, during the years that I've been involved with the moth, I have seen like real communities grow. You know, I've seen folks who are regular storytellers create their own storytelling programs. I've seen folks become friends and they would not have met had it not been for the moth because you get a cross section of everybody. It, it can give you a lot. And, and honestly, I think for some people, it's giving them a new idea about what they want to do in life. Like, I don't know if it's people are changing careers once they leave the mop, but I, it's an opportunity to tap into something within yourself that maybe you've never explored before. So if someone decides that they would like to tell a story on the moth or how do they get involved? Yeah. So doors open an hour before the show. So the shows happen with the exception of around the holidays because of, you know, scheduling and things. Moth Story Slam Louisville shows happen on the last Tuesday of the month. Doors open at seven and the show starts at eight. So first you need to come before the show starts at eight, like give yourself some time. Then we have a volunteer at the front of the stage who is taking the names for the stories, right? And so you literally just walk up to the stage and say, hey, I'd like to tell a story. Um, and then you have to sign a release, either a release saying like, yes, if if the moth decides, I would, I, I'm, I'm down with appearing on like the moth podcast or what have you, or no, don't put my voice anywhere. You know, either way, it doesn't matter if you don't want to be on the podcast, you don't have to be. Um, but really that, I mean, it's as simple as that. Just get here before the show starts. 
but yeah, it's, it's really that easy. But if you want to look up topics, go to the moth.org and look up Louisville storytelling events. So you can see a list of like upcoming topics. So you can kind of prepare your story at home. So there's really no pre-registration or anything. You just show up and literally put your name in the hat right before. Yes. We could not be more literal about you. you (laughs) Show up, you put your name in and you hope for the best, you know? (laughs) Well, Ashley, this has been fun. Thank you so much for telling us about the moth. We are going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're all going to talk about what we're reading. All right, we are back with Ashley Clark and with Carrie. Carrie, what's going on over there? What are you reading this week? Well, I feel like I picked the perfect book to talk about storytelling. I listened to the audiobook version of The Storyteller, Tales of Life and Music by Dave Grohl. So Dave Grohl wrote this book and narrated it. I really enjoyed it. Now, it was different than what I expected. You know, memoir, I'm expecting, I was born on January 4th or whatever. You know, I'm sort of expecting it to be a chronological telling of their life. Well, that's not really how this is. It's almost thematic. He jumps around different periods of his life, different experiences. And so it took me a little while to sort of get used to that. But I realized that I think that's the way I prefer it because, you know, he was in Nirvana, he is in Foo Fighters, and he's performed with lots and lots and lots of other musicians. And so to tell his story chronologically, I think he would have to cut out probably some of the more interesting tales. And so like one of the things that he talked about is how he is the musician who has been on SNL, I think more than any other musician, like 14 times. I thought that was kind of interesting. And he was asked to join Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers at one point, and he declined, I mean, even though he enjoyed playing with them. So you sort of got these little nuggets of stories about different people he's met, different people he's performed with. He told a story about how he was playing in Australia. Uh, Foo Fighters was on tour. So he has three daughters and his one daughter had been looking forward to going to the school dance since her older sister had started school. And so the dance was coming up and he realized that he was going to be in Australia on tour. And so he changed his schedule and he flew like 20 hours back to Los Angeles just so he could attend this dance with his daughter. And then he like left the dance and flew all the way back and had food poisoning on this 20 hour flight back to Australia, landed in Australia, took a one hour nap and then went to perform that night at this concert. And so if you were a fan of Nirvana, if you're a fan of Foo Fighters, or you're just interested in the life of a musician, I think you'd probably like it. I know myself, I kind of glorify, you think about, oh, it must be so great to be a rock star and play with all these musicians and all this stuff. But I thought, you know, it has to be miserable to have to play a song every night, every concert for years and years and years and years and years. That sounds sort of terrible. So it was it was eye-opening in that respect too. It was like, well, being a rock star, yeah, it comes with lots of benefits, but it's a job. I mean, it sometimes sucks. I I liked Nirvana, but I didn't follow them closely. And I really don't know anything about the Foo Fighters. Would you enjoy the book, even if you're not like a huge 
fan of the bands. Yeah, I think so. Because because the thing is, I mean, he does talk about Nirvana and he does talk about the Foo Fighters, but he also talks about, again, like he brings up Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. He talks about how, like when he met some of his music idols. I think even if you don't know much about him or his bands, the fact that he is such a music lover and he talks about different musicians that he's played with i think you can get something out of it but i do have to ask this question amy so did you not wear flannel like in 1993 and <laughs> did wear flannel because everybody wore flannel but i wasn't a grunger no i'm just my mind's blown a little bit here i'm like wow i was more like dave matthews band uh hootie and the blowfish that was more my cup of tea well it's good that we became friends when we did, because when I was, you know, like in college, I probably would have not had anything to do with you. <laughs> I was a total grunge person. I I was deep. I was deep in it. So, all right, Ashley, get us yes. off this topic. What have you been reading? Well, first of all, I'm going to have to check out the Dave Girl book. I literally ran to my nightstand and was like, what am I reading? And I'm the type of person who has a bookmark in about three, four different books. So what I'm reading right now, it's a book called Hair Story, Untangling the Roots of Black Hair in America. And it's written by Ayana D. Bird and Lori L. Tharps. So I picked up this book, partly it's because A, I'm interested in the topic, but one of the reasons why I'm interested in the topic is as a writer, I'm working on a manuscript that is a memoir, I guess, called Bad Hair, A Love Story. And yeah, so I'm writing about the impact that hair has had in my life as a Black woman, but specifically as the daughter of two hairdressers, where like their love language was hair. They met at hair salon. Like I wouldn't be here without the profession of beautifying hair. But it gives me a really interesting perspective in terms of writing about specifically natural hair, because I went from having chemically straightened hair to going natural and growing out the straight parts and just embracing my natural hair. But I have parents who are definitely pro straight hair, you know? And so there was definitely conflict there as I was deciding what I wanted to do with my hair and, and really, you know, I know it sounds cliche to say like finding myself, but really it was kind of a teenage rebellion, just maybe about 10, 15 years later. And I really had to unpack, okay, well, why do I feel like I have to straighten my hair? You know, and it's, yeah, one part, it's definitely familial pressure, but it's also societal pressure. And so what I'm doing right now is, you know, researching just the history of black hair in America and hair story is a fantastic book so far. I'm maybe about a quarter of the way in and it takes a very academic look at the history of just how black hair was a part of black American culture, specifically what happened from enslaved people who were taken from Africa and what happened to their hair traditions and and things like that when they arrived in the Americas and discusses, you know, the freeing of enslaved people and, and then the attempt to assimilate into broader society and what that meant for how they styled their hair and things like that. So it's a really, really fascinating book. And it's also reminding me that 
you know, I come from this long line of people who tell stories with our hair and express mm-hmm. ourselves with our hair. And that's definitely very much what I'm uh, focused on these days and trying to get this manuscript finished. That sounds like a really interesting story, the dichotomy between your story and your parents being hairdressers. That sounds fascinating. I, I look forward to seeing it in print someday, but I have to ask you, have you read the book, My Beautiful Black Hair by St. Clair Dietrich Jules? Um, it is on my desk right now. It's a lovely book beautiful photos and, you know, just how every black woman has a story about her hair. I love that book. Love that book. She was a guest on our show this past summer and she's a lovely person. And the the book really is beautiful. The pictures in it are, are stunning. Well, Amy, what have you been reading? So I zoomed through a book last week. It took a lot of my attention. It was so good. I wish people hadn't torn me away from it. Uh, But it's a book called One in a Million Boy by Monica Wood. And this is a multi-generational story that takes place in Portland, Maine. And our main character is Ona Vitkus. And she is a 104-year-old woman. She was born in Lithuania, but she immigrated to the United States with her parents when she was four. And now she lives alone and she's a little ornery. She's a little contrary and the local scout troop keeps sending her boy scouts to help her with chores but she turns most of them away because she feels they just don't have staying power until a new boy comes along and he's a little unusual he's maybe a little socially awkward maybe he's on the autism spectrum and he can get fixated on certain things he likes making lists and he really enjoys talking to ona and asking her about her life and in fact she ends up sharing memories and secrets with him that she's never told anybody else. We never actually find out the boy's name, but the boy is quite obsessed with the Guinness Book of World Records. So he has this idea that Ona should try to become the oldest living person and get her name in the Guinness Book of World Records. And she decides to kind of go along with this idea of his because it makes him happy. And then they have this shared goal. And to Ona, this boy is special. And then something happens to the boy, and he doesn't show up one Saturday. And Ona wonders if maybe he isn't so special after all. Maybe he's just like all the other boys that they have sent her. And then the Saturday after that, the boy's father shows up to take over the weekly chores, like filling the bird feeders and fixing small things around the house. And the father wants to complete the boy's commitment to Mrs. Vitkus. He and the boy's mother divorced, and honestly, he hasn't been a great father to the boy. He's a guitarist who travels around trying to find music gigs, and he never made the boy a huge priority. And there was something he just didn't really understand about the boy. And so it made bonding with him difficult. So visiting Ms. Vitkus every weekend to complete his son's jobs is a way for him to tamp down some of that guilt that he has. But as he talks to her, he feels like he gets to know his son better. So this is the story of how one special child can unite unlikely people. And it's a book about what makes up a life well lived, about loss and about letting go of secrets. And this book really gives you all the feels. It is funny and it is sad and it's at times maddening. I loved it. I gave it a full five stars and I'm pretty stingy with the books that I give five stars. Now, I started out listening to this on audiobook. But then I became so engrossed in the story that I simply wasn't able to listen to it fast enough. So then I also checked out the book from the library and I switched between listening and reading it in book form. And I highly recommend the audiobook if you like audiobooks. The the narrator, Chris 
Siula really brings these characters to life. And if you've listened to the show for a little while, you know, I often have trouble listening to fiction audiobooks. If I enjoyed it, it means it's like the caviar of audiobooks. So (laughs) if you are a reader who likes the storyline of interesting relationships between older people and younger generations, books like A Man Called Uva by Frederick Bachman or How the Penguins Save Veronica by Hazel Pryor, you will absolutely love this book. Okay, maybe I missed something, but do we find out what happens to the boy? What happened to the boy? You do, but I don't want to tell you. Okay, okay. All right, just want to make sure. I I just don't want to tell you about it at this point. You have to read the book to find out. Okay, all right, I can do that. I've already added it to my list along with Hair Story, so I'm good. (laughs) All right. This podcast is dangerous, okay? (laughs) (laughs) I told you, I have a pile of books, a pile of books. And now I'm just going to get more. It's fine. It's helping the economy. It's great. Yep. <laughs> you you're you are among friends, Ashley, because I have piles. Amy has piles. It's a good problem to have. All right, we are going to take another quick break, and when we come back, Ashley's going to answer her three in the third degree. All right. Are you ready for your questions, Ashley? As ready as <laughs> All right. Here we go. Number one, your previous professional work includes being an oven reviewer. What did this job entail? And do people who know you now bug you to give them all the details on the best ovens? Okay. So I think the reverse is true. I bug people so <laughs> I can tell them about their ovens. <laughs> So testing an oven, and and when I say oven, I'm using that shorthand for like stove, but also oven as well. And I'm going to try to rein in my nerdiness on this (laughs) because I did this for three years. So I am all about like, tell me about your stove. What brands are you thinking about? Um, So the things I would test for would be, you know, how fast does it boil a pot of water? You know, I had thermal couples that would connect to a computer so you could see the temperature. And then, you know, we had like a certain amount of water you used and the same pans that you use and things like that. Then I would roast a chicken. And that was more of a qualitative test of just like, was the skin crispy? Was the meat juicy? Things like that. But the most time consuming thing was baking biscuits in the oven to see how even the brownness would be when you would bake them. And so I used, you know, just like the store brand biscuit sleeve that you pop open Mm -hmm. and, you know, put them on a baking sheet. I counted once the number of biscuits that I baked, you know, just did some math, like, well, if I'm average and then it was a lot, it was (laughs) a lot. Oh, and there was one more test broiling hamburgers to see how fast they would come to temperature. Yeah, like when I was testing, you know, I was very, very popular at work. Did you start out as an oven lover or this was a job that you got that, you know, you're a writer, so you're, you'll are you take any writing gig, even if it's like writing oven reviews? Um, It's a little mix of both. So I started my career as a newspaper journalist and then transitioned out of journalism and into the private sector and worked there for a while. But during that time, I was writing a food blog called Ashley Eats and just 
documenting trying to find inexpensive food to eat around town because, you know, I was on a budget and things like that. So then I saw this job come open at CNET.com and it just seems like the perfect marriage of my experience in journalism and my interest in food. And so ovens and cooking gadgets became my beat. You know, I'm doing interviews. I'm talking to experts. Like it was a lot of fun. But fun fact, I've never bought my own oven like for personal use. I've always just like whatever the house came with, that's what I use. So one day I'm going to buy an oven. <laughs> Not okay, moving on to question two. I like to cook as well. I'm a foodie. So I was excited to find out that you wrote a book about Louisville diners. What interests you about diners? And do you have a top diners that you can name in Louisville or elsewhere? Mm -hmm. My interest in diners, honestly, number one, they were affordable. When I was working at jobs that, you know, I had to keep myself on a rather tight budget. You can always go to a diner and get a full meal for relatively cheap. And I think that folks who are like working behind the counter at a diner are like some of the hardest working folks in the food industry. And I also like diners because it's a cross section of the community. You have a little bit of everybody coming in. You have people who might have a lot of money, might people who might have a little bit of money, older people, younger people, like depending on the hour of day you go, it can be a completely different experience. So the Cost effectiveness is what intrigued me, but honestly, just, I don't know, the down-homeness, and a lot of these are local businesses, you know, they're all special, right? They all have their own little flair and cast of characters and things like that, and I, and I really like that. They're often quirky. Yeah. I mean, you know, just sometimes, sometimes you want to be able to go out in public in your sweatpants and, like, <laughs> order some pancakes at four o'clock in the afternoon and, and nobody's going to say anything. There's no judgment. There's no judgment about a four o'clock pancake at a diner. Exactly. And in terms of some of my favorites, I enjoy burger boy here in town. It's always really good. I'm, I'm going to say something. It might be controversial, but I'm going to say it. Waffle house. Mm, mm-hmm. My boys and my husband especially like to go to waffle house. Because like Waffle House, yes, it's a chain, but you walk in and it really doesn't feel like it. Like <laughs> there's a certain environment that Waffle House is giving me that is is very similar to what you would get if you're just going to, you know, a local place. You know, when you're in the South and you don't know where to eat and you're like, if you're taking a road trip or whatever, you can always go to Waffle House. Also, who doesn't like waffles? Like, let's start there. Who doesn't right. like waffles? Another thing that these places have in common too is that you're a person there. You're not just a number. Like people know you, you know what I mean? When you start going on a regular basis, you know, and you know what to expect. But at the end of the day, if I can like come in with $7 and like (laughs) go to town, that's my, that's my kind of place. Do you have a favorite diner food? Okay. Yes. I'm giggling because I'm slightly embarrassed. Uh, chili cheese fries. Oh, well, that there's nothing embarrassing about that. That's that's good eats right there. Yeah, because, okay, so you have your layer of starch. You got your potatoes, okay? Then you have this, like, chunky, you know, you got meat, you know, just <laughs> protein. And then melty cheese on top of it, heaven. 
All right, last question. If you were stranded on some remote island, which golden girl would you want there with you and why would you choose that particular one? Ooh, okay. So (laughs) this is a very good question. It's a hard question, right? Mm -hmm. Because my knee-jerk reaction is to say Dorothy because Mm -hmm. she's very like pragmatic and practical. But I think at some point we would butt heads. (laughs) I think I would bring Rose. Uh, R.I.P. Betty White. (laughs) But here's why. She grew up on a farm and lived on a farm with her husband. So there's some practical skills there, right? That she has that I don't have. And also with all those St. Olaf stories, I'm not going to (laughs) be (laughs) good. That would be some distraction for sure. Yeah, it would be like, much needed like I would really get into those St. Olaf stories and if I ever got sick of them I feel like it would be easier to avoid you know I would just be like Rose you stay over here I'm gonna go over there and you know honestly out of the girls she she was always kind of a softie and so I think she would also like make me feel a little bit better about the situation. Since Betty White's death you see a lot of clips of golden girls and i've been watching some of those clips and laughing all over again i forgot how funny it was i became a golden girls fan like in my 20s i first apartment you know and i had cable and it was like oh this is on lifetime a lot and it was just so comforting like yeah going back to that whole like how i like to read series of books when i was little like oh i can pop in an episode of golden girls kind of always could feel like Oh, like, I'm going to get a laugh out of this. I'm going to see four incredible female characters who are just living their best lives. You know, Mm. I even have a tattoo dedicated. Really? Well, we knew that you were a fan, but we had no idea that you had a Golden Girl tattoo. What is what is it? It is a slice of cheesecake. Because that's what they would always have. So a running theme that was on the show was that they would always like talk over their problems over a cheesecake in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. So I got the t- tattoo as, as a reminder to calm down, eat some cheesecake. It's going to be okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ashley, it has been so fun chatting with you. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to tell us about your interests and also about the moth. Thanks so much. Oh, no, thank you for having me. This has been a delight. And I love talking about books and storytelling and cheesecake with y'all. You can find The Moth and Moth events all over the world at their website at www.themoth.org. The Moth podcast can be found on your favorite podcast platform. Thanks for joining us this week. Follow us on Facebook at The Perks of Being a Book Lover or on Instagram at Perks of Being a Book Lover Pod to see what we're up to. For show notes for any episode, go to our website at www.perksbeingabooklover.com. We'd love to hear from our listeners. Do you have a favorite book you'd like to share with us or feedback for what types of guests you'd like to hear from? If so, send us a message through our website. If you like what we're doing with the show, tell a friend. Word of mouth is one of the best ways to help people find us. Finally, a huge thank you to Forward Radio 106.5 FM, a grassroots community radio station in Louisville, Kentucky. You can find our show there, live or in archives, at forwardradio.org.